0: Today's service focuses on exploring the book of Acts. We believe that God has a special message just for you through His Word. Thank you for spending your time with us. You know, many people believe that following Jesus, that being a Christ follower, leads to prosperity, leads to wealth, leads to your happiness, leads to good health, leads to a stress-free life life unfortunately someone forgot to tell the Apostle Paul (laughs) from the moment Paul arrived in Jerusalem he has faced confusion and rumors from the Christians in Jerusalem from the Jewish church he's been nearly beaten to death by a mob we looked at this last week he has been arrested by the Romans And today we're going to pick up in in the story in Acts 22. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. In Acts 22, in today's text, what we're going to see is Paul cursed by the mob, nearly flogged by the Romans, punched in the face by the Sanhedrin, and have a plot to kill him. Paul's going through some stuff, folks. Paul's dealing with some stuff, and there's no way, no way that Paul makes it through this in his own strength. There's no way that Paul is able to endure this in his own power. Paul is, 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 has to endure, and the only way he can endure is through the power that was clearly given to him from God. In fact, he wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and he says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to who? God and not to us. Look what he says. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. So from the moment Paul has arrived in Jerusalem, he's been afflicted, perplexed, persecuted and struck down, but he is not he is not crushed not driven to despair, not abandoned, and not destroyed. Why? Because Paul knows that Jesus is with him. Paul knows that Jesus is sustaining him. Paul knows that the power is not from him, but it belongs to God. He understands this, and this is why he is able to face everything that he faces. See, this text that we're going to look at today in Acts points us to the the all-sufficient grace of Jesus Christ. It points us to the, the grace of Christ which sustains us, strengthens us, encourages us, and guides us. And so let's take a look at Paul and his captors in in acts 22 beginning in verse 22 so we read this last week but this is after this mob tries to uh, kill Paul the Romans arrest him these men are yelling away with this fellow from the earth for he should not be allowed to live i mean, pretty strong words and then look what they have look what happens next and they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And Paul said, Yes. And he answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. But Paul said, I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Now, so this angry mob is absolutely losing their mind. They're throwing off their jackets. They're throwing dirt in the air. They've got, I mean, they're, they're absolutely losing their ever-loving mind. All because Paul was preaching the gospel. All because Paul was proclaiming Jesus Christ. And the Romans assume that Paul has done something really, really bad. They assume that Paul is guilty. And so here's what the Romans decide to do. This was, a, this was something they would do to people that were not citizens of Rome. They would beat the truth out of them. They would basically say, okay, I know you're guilty, and therefore we're going to beat you with whips until you confess to something. Anything. Because certainly you're guilty. That was the assumption. So Paul asked them a question, and he says, Can you do this to a Roman citizen? Now, Paul knew the answer, right? He knew they couldn't. He knew it was unlawful for them to treat a Roman citizen that way. But this was an incredibly cruel form of torture. This is the same way that they tortured Jesus before hanging him on the cross. In fact, many people that had to endure this examination, we read that and we say examination, that's like... You know, we, we don't picture like this beating until you confess to something, anything, right? But that's exactly what they would do. And many people actually died as a result of this beating. that were innocent of no crimes, which was why it was unlawful to do this to a Roman citizen. And so to figure out what's going on, to figure out why this mob is so angry at the Apostle Paul, the Roman commander arranges for Paul to stand before, trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin. And so we pick that up in chapter 23. And it says this, And looking intently at, at the council, Paul said, "Brothers, So he's before the Sanhedrin, around 70 uh, leaders of, of, of Judaism that lived in Jerusalem. He says, look, I... I, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Now, let's stop right there. Isn't that what we want to do as Christ fought, We want to live our lives in good conscience before God? We want to say, hey, everything I've done, I've tried to do to honor God. Everything in my life, every decision I've made, everything I've tried to do, I have tried to live in a way that represents God. So you would think that Paul saying this would cause the Sanhedrin to be happy about that, to, to rejoice in that. Say, like, you know what? That's what we try to do. We want to live our lives in such a way that we have a good conscience before God. But that's not what happens. Look at verse 2. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by Paul to strike him on the mouth. Let's stop right there. So what we have here is Paul making this claim that, listen, guys, I have tried to live my life in such a way that honors God. And as a result of that, Ananias orders Paul to be punched in the mouth. Seems like an odd response, doesn't it? What Luke is doing here is he, he is contrasting the character of Ananias with that of Paul. You see Ananias was the high priest but Ananias was a wicked, wicked man. He was an evil man wrapped in religion. And so Luke here is showing us the difference between Ananias and the Apostle Paul. And he's showing us that that when you and I defend our faith, which is what Paul is doing, our Christian character matters. It matters a lot. If you and I are going to claim to be followers of Jesus, we should probably be living for Jesus. We should probably be doing everything we can in our lives to honor Christ. And so Ananias acts in this unbiblical way in this ungodly way, punching Paul in the mouth. Now, I don't know about you, but if I get punched in the face, I'm probably going to respond. Anybody? Okay. All of you sinners are not turning the other cheek. No, I mean, I'm pretty sure that if somebody punches me in the face, I'm going to respond. And that's exactly what Paul does. Paul responds. He rebukes the high priest. Look at verse 3. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you. You whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? So Paul knew the Old Testament law. Paul knew that Ananias had just broken Leviticus 19. By having Paul punched in the the mouth, he had broken the law, the Old Testament law. And so Paul knew that. And so he calls out the high priest hypocrisy. Now, when he calls him a whitewashed wall, that was not a compliment. Like some of you may have been thinking, you know what? He he said, man, you did a great job of pressure washing your wall. It looks pretty. Not what he meant at all. It was meant as an insult. In fact, Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. So it's basically the same thing. Paul's saying, you are a whitewashed wall. In other words, the exterior looks great. The exterior looks polished and clean and fantastic. But on the inside, you're dead. On the inside, you're corrupt. On the inside, you are defiled. That's what Paul is saying to the high priest. He means it as an insult. Now, while Paul spoke the truth, and while his cause was just, he had just gotten punched in the face, it seems to me as we read this text continue reading this text that he seemed to regret speaking to the high priest in such a way let's keep reading verse four says though those that stood by said will you revile god's high priest and look at verse five and paul says i did not know brothers that he was the high priest for it is written you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people now This is interesting because I think this shows us a couple of things. I think first and foremost, this shows us that Paul was human. That Paul, even the Apostle Paul, could react instead of respond. Have you ever been there? Have you ever reacted to something instead of responding to something? And then you regret having reacted in the way that you reacted? That's what that's what that's the sense I get of what is happening with Paul. Paul he, he could get heated and, and he could react and he could even go against his own teaching. In, in 2 Corinthians, he writes this, Brothers, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. That's not exactly what Paul does in this text, is it? In fact, he knows the Old Testament law and he knew that speaking against the rulers and the leaders was against God's law. So Paul, it tells me that he's human, man. And I I love that fact. I love that fact. Because there are times when I react instead of respond. There are times when I get heated. There are times when I go against what God's Word says in my own life, the way I respond and react to people. And Paul does. But notice what he does. Notice what Paul also does. He owns his stuff. He owns his mistake. He said, listen, guys, I didn't know that he was the high priest. And then he quotes Scripture, you shall not speak evil of the ruler of your people. He owns it. He he confesses it. He repents of it. He doesn't defend it. He doesn't rationalize it and say, well, he hit me first. It's not what Paul does. He owns his junk. He owns his stuff. He owned his mistake. Now, what's interesting, we've been looking over the last several weeks of how Luke has... has kind of taking Jesus' path to Jerusalem in the cross with Paul's path of carrying the gospel to Jerusalem. And we've seen how they, they coincide in a lot of ways. There's a lot of parallels. But this is one of those areas that doesn't parallel at all. You see, both Jesus and Paul faced hypocrisy in Jerusalem. Both Jesus and Paul condemned that hypocrisy. But our Lord responded with restraint Paul did not. It doesn't mean that you and I should just grin and bear it when someone punches us in the mouth. That's not what I'm saying at all. I am saying that we should, as followers of Christ, we should speak out against injustices. We should speak out against hypocrisy, but we must do so with respect and restraint, just like our Lord Jesus did. We should respond... Instead of react, just like our Lord Jesus did. And so Paul is an example of us just being human. And to me, this is a reminder, church, that we should not mimic the disrespect and the, the cancel culture and the keyboard folks that are living in their mom's basement, typing stuff on social media, that have no backing because they're not standing in front, of the, in front of someone. We shouldn't mimic what's going on in our culture. We, have, we now have a culture that cannot have civil discourse for whatever reason. We live in a culture now that all, all people want to do is just blast someone and blow them up on social media or online, as opposed to actually sitting down and having a conversation with someone. And as Christ followers, we have to learn to have civil disagreement. We have to learn to be able to talk to people not about people. We need to learn to have those conversations even when we disagree with people, even when we see uh, injustice, even when we see hypocrisy. And when we fail to do so, which we will, we need to be like Paul and follow his example of humility and owning our stuff when we do mess up. Because the reality is we're going to mess up. Each and every one of us are going to react instead of respond. Each and every one of us are going to get heated at times. We're going, to, we're going to do exactly what Paul does and, and I know in the text it se- we read and it seems kind of mild but he knew what he was doing in the sense of, of blasting and laying into the high priest you know I mean, he didn't know he was a high priest but he he knew that his response was out of line that's why he owns it that's why he says, look I, had, I didn't know brothers that this was a high priest I wouldn't have spoken to him in that way had I known So let's keep going on in the, in the story Verse uh, verse 6. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee, and it is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. So what Paul is saying is that, guys, I know this trial ain't going nowhere. You know, I make an opening statement, I get punched in the mouth. So let's just get to the bottom line and say what this trial is about. This trial is about a theological debate. You see, Paul believed in the resurrection. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not. And so Paul is saying, guys, this is a theological matter. And what had gotten Paul in hot water to begin with was the fact that he had claimed that Jesus Christ had risen from the grave. You see, it was the resurrection of Christ that made Paul intolerable to the Jews. It was the fact that he believed in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that the Jews were out to kill him from, from the very beginning. It was why he went and attacked the church In the first place, all the way at the beginning of Acts. When he was there, when Stephen was martyred. Why was that? Because of the fact of the resurrection that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That he died on the cross for our sins and that he rose again three days later. It was for the sake of the gospel that Paul was on trial. And he knew it. Church, the resurrection... The resurrection of Jesus Christ remains central to our faith. Apart from the resurrection, none of us should be here. If Christ is not raised, we should all be playing golf right now or doing whatever you want to do. Paul even said it. He said it to the Corinthians. He said this And if Christ has not been raised, then what? Our preaching is in vain. And what I'm doing is totally in vain. And then he says this, And your faith is in vain. If Christ has not risen from the grave, then our faith is in vain and everything we do is in vain. Folks, the resurrection is central to our faith. It is central to the gospel. And we must keep preaching an empty tomb. We must keep declaring that Christ is risen. We must be like Paul and say, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. I believe that Jesus Christ is alive and well, risen as our Lord and Savior. And that's exactly what Paul does. And when we proclaim the empty tomb, we're proclaiming the gospel. Jesus' resurrection, that he is alive, and that's what Paul does. Well, guess what? The Jews weren't happy about that either. Let's pick up in verse 12. So when it was day, so this trial happens at night. Paul proclaims the gospel, the resurrection. says, Jesus Christ is alive. I believe in the resurrection. And remember, when, when Luke gives us these, these sermons, he's given us like snapshots. So he's, he tells us the fact that he proclaims the resurrection. We know that Paul is preaching the gospel. He's proclaiming that Jesus is alive, proclaiming the gospel. So the next day, the Jews, look what they do. They made a plot and bound themselves by an oath Neither to eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. And then it goes on to say in verse 13, or verse, yeah, verse 13, that 40 men made this pledge. For more than 40 guys say, so you know what, we're not going to eat, we're not going to drink until we have assassinated the apostle Paul, until he is dead. So then they come up with this plan. They say they go to Ananias, the high priest, this, this great man that we've already seen how wonderful his character is. They go to him and say, hey, hey, Ananias, we got a plan. What we want you to do is we want you to let the Romans know that we need to examine Paul a little more, that we need to have him come back to the council so that we can discuss this matter further. And these 40 men say, while they're bringing Paul back, what we are going to do is we're going to ambush Paul and kill him. And that's their plan. But look at verse 16. Now, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and he told Paul. So this is the one of the only times, it's not the only time in Scripture that we learn anything about Paul's family. So apparently he had a sister in Jerusalem. That sister had a son. And that son was a young man uh, probably in his teen years, maybe even younger, because if you read the text, it says that the tribune took him by the hand and guided him, which you, one, one would think if you were a young man, a teenager or younger, that if you were standing before a Roman uh, leader and a, and a Roman military leader, that you'd be slightly afraid. And so the fact that um, he takes him by the hand is, shows that he was trying to comfort this young man. He tells of this plot to kill Paul. He lets them know... That they are going to uh, that they're going to ambush them. he tells the whole story after he hears the plot and then the Romans decide to put Paul in, pro- in protective, protective custody. They, they decide to take Paul and, and then escort him to Caesarea so that he could be before Felix the governor. and they choose to do so in the middle of the night. Look at verse 23 it says this. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready, 200 soldiers. That seems—I think 200 could take care of 40, right? Especially when they're trained Roman soldiers, and they can protect one man. 200 could probably protect one. It says get 200 soldiers and 70 horsemen. So just in case the 200 soldiers go down, we got 70 of them on a horse. And if that's not enough, get 200 spearmen. So now you've got 470 people guarding the Apostle Paul. Listen, do you think God is orchestrating this? Do you think God, perhaps, is protecting Paul in this moment? Yes. God's sovereignty is so evident in this text. God is working behind the scenes. And so that the, so that the, the Romans send two, 470 people. And then he says, we want you to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. So after it's dark, about 9, 9 p.m., take him and get him to Caesarea. And then the, in, in verse 24, and also provide mounts for Paul. So we're not even going to make Paul walk. We want him to be on a horseback. So he's going to ride a horse. We're going to take care of this man and uh, bring him safely to Felix the governor. And then verses 25 through 35 are basically a letter that the the Roman tribune um, Claudius writes to Felix explaining the situation of everything we just talked about, explaining everything that's been going on. Uh, and, And then Paul arrives in Caesarea. Now, since arriving in Jerusalem, folks, I think we can all agree that Paul has been put through the ringer. He has faced some challenges. He he has been cursed. He's been flogged, nearly flogged. He's been punched. He's escaped the plot to kill him. Uh, Even though Paul Paul knew that it was God's will to go to Jerusalem. Because we learned all the way back in Acts 19 that Paul knew God was sending him to Jerusalem. And we also learned that Paul knew that once he got to Jerusalem, he would face hardship. But do you think he realized all this would happen? I don't know that he did. We don't don't really know his mindset. We don't really know what was going on in Paul's mind. But we surely can assume that this was not easy, right? Can we at least assume that, that this, what Paul is facing, what he's going through, the challenges he is facing, the hardships he's walking through were not easy. And that he was in need of God's grace, which I think is why... Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and said this, But he said to me, that is Jesus, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. Now, Paul in this moment is resting on the grace of the Lord. Because God's grace is sufficient for him. Now I was I was thinking like I was I was telling our team earlier this morning that these next two weeks, this week and next week, there's is a lot of narrative, a lot of things that are, you know, Paul's going here and there, and and it's and pretty quick moving. I was like, how do we how do we apply this text to our lives? How do we actually take what we just read and like apply? Because we're we're to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And every Sunday, we want to have some way to, to apply how does, this, how does this text speak to us directly. And, and I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago as I was preparing this message about how to apply this text. So many of you may remember um, a couple of weeks ago, I, I sent a text out uh, to our entire congregation. Um, it's not a group text, so don't worry about that. But it's a, it, we have a system, a texting system, where I can communicate with With each and every one of you and send you a text and you can respond and and I get to read get to read those texts and so I sent a text out to our entire congregation just asking you guys how I can pray for you you remember okay good and so as I was getting those responses back I quickly realized that many of you are facing all sorts of challenges just like we all are but, but, I mean, everything from health concerns to difficulties at work to internal wrestlings to external problems to relationship issues to spiritual challenges, and the list could go on and on and on. And I, it is a privilege of mine to be able to pray for you in those moments. But it, was, it was, just reminded me that, you know what, we don't always know what each other are going through. But we're all going through stuff. And if you're not going through it now, just wait, because you will. If you're sitting there going, you know what, Eric, life's perfect. Everything's great. Just wait. Probably this afternoon it's all going to fall apart. Right now. right now, yes, as you listen to this message. Just because you have to listen to me, it's all probably going to fall apart. And so I got to thinking, you know what, we, we don't know what, we're, what, what each, uh, each and every one of us are going through. We don't know what challenges... We're facing. We don't know, you know what has happened this morning that, that, that is weighing on you, the burdens you're carrying. And, and, and then, I, so what I want us to do, I want us to go back to a passage in this text that we skipped. I want us to go back to verse 11 in chapter 23. You see, verse 11 in chapter 23 are words that Jesus spoke specifically to the Apostle Paul. In the midst of everything that Paul is going through, in the midst of an angry mob, the the confusion of the Christian church, in the midst of being shackled by the Romans, nearly whipped, in the midst of being punched in the face, just before a plot is discovered to kill him, Jesus shows up and speaks to the Apostle Paul. Now, these words are specifically for Paul, but I do think there are principles in these words that Jesus speaks to Paul That apply to us. So let's hear what Jesus said. He says, "The following night, the Lord stood by him. Isn't that good news?" The Lord Jesus stood by him and said to him, "Take courage." You ever heard that in the in the scriptures before? Like over and over again, Jesus says to his followers, "Take courage." He told Joshua. He told Moses. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, Jesus continues to tell us, "Take courage." He says, "Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome." And then immediately he discovers the plot to kill him. So I think in this moment there are four things I want us to I want us to to look at, four principles that I believe teach us and show us and give us reassurance when we need it the most. When you're facing challenges, when you're facing difficulties, no matter what you're going through or what you will go through or what you have gone through, I think these four things, these four principles are in this text. The first one is this, that the Lord knows us. Isn't that good news? The Lord knows us. I mean, Jesus, right before or right after He'd gone through all those things. Right before the plot to kill him, Jesus shows up at just the right moment. Why? Because he knows him. He knows him. He knew Paul's situation. He knew everything that Paul was going through. None of it caught Jesus by surprise. Jesus was like, oh, I didn't know Ananias would have him punched. No, he knew it. Oh, they they created a plot to kill Paul. No, Jesus knew every bit of it. He's sovereign, he knows all things, he's omniscient. And Jesus knew everything about Paul's situation. And guess what, church? He knows everything about what you're facing as well. Listen, you are never out of Jesus' gaze. You are never out uh, out of reach of his loving hand. Jesus knows you by name, and Jesus knows you by need. Just like he did Paul. Jesus knew him. The beauty of our faith, the beauty of our faith is lies in the fact that God, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of life, the one that set all of this in motion, that God knows you. He knows you intimately. He knows each and every one of you personally. He's not distant. He is present. And God knows you. He knows your struggles. He knows your joys. and He knows everything in between. That should bring us, bring us encouragement, shouldn't it? When we understand that, we should be able to take courage, just like Jesus said to Paul, take courage. But the second thing is this, the Lord is with us. Not only does he know us, he's also with us. See, when Paul felt most alone, think about this. This is one of those moments in Acts where it doesn't say Luke is not using we. He's not saying we. Paul is alone in the barracks at this point. Paul has been surrounded by friends. There have been several moments like in in Athens and other places where Paul was alone. But this is a moment where Paul's been beaten, nearly whipped, an angry mob trying to kill him, punched in the face, without his friends around him. So in that moment where where Paul is all alone, Jesus' presence brings him comfort. It says, in that very night, the Lord stood by him. The Lord was with him. In fact, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said this, but the Lord stood by me. The Lord stood by me, and he strengthened me so that through the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, Paul understood the Lord was with him. He understood that God's presence was with him. Jesus Christ stood in our place on the cross. He stood by Paul In these barracks, and church, he is standing by you no matter what you are facing. And that should bring, bring us encouragement. We should be encouraged. We should have courage because Christ is with us. Jesus even said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that should be comfort. This should bring comfort to us knowing that you don't have to walk alone. In your darkest moments, in your darkest valleys, God has promised to walk beside you every step of the way. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing right now, Jesus is by your side, and God's presence is our constant companion, guiding us, strengthening us, and giving us peace in the midst of every single storm. But not only that, not only does God, not only does the Lord know us, not only is He with us. Look at this: the Lord is for us. The Lord is for us. Paul comes to uh, the, Jesus, comes to Paul, and says. Have courage. Paul, take courage. I am for you. Keep going. Don't give up. He says, you have testified about me in Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus said, Paul, you did it. You This, this desire that I had placed in your heart, this, this vision that I had given you to be in Jerusalem, you've done it. You've accomplished what I called you to accomplish. Paul even said to the church in Rome later when he was writing the book of Romans, he said, if God is for us, who is against us? Paul knew firsthand that nobody is. If God is for us, no one is against us. Folks, I want you to understand and know that God is not a passive observer in your life. He didn't just create the universe and cosmos and just leave us to ourselves. God is actively involved in every aspect of all of our lives. He's not absent. He's not sitting in heaven going well, I don't know what's going to happen to them. No, he is actively involved working all things for his glory and for good. Doesn't mean all things are going to be good. But God is working all things for his glory and for good. Why? Because he is for us. There's one more principle I think we see here, and that is this. Lord isn't finished with us. Look what he says to the Apostle Paul. He says, you must testify in Rome. You must testify in Rome. In other words, you are going to make it to Rome. Paul, you're in Jerusalem, you're, you're going to make it to Rome. Though Paul, as we will see over the next three or four weeks, Paul will encounter many trials en route. But he can rest assured. He could know he could face everything that comes his way. Why? Because the Lord wasn't finished with him. The Lord has promised him you were going to make it to Rome. So Paul knew that the Lord's purposes always prevail. Always. God's purposes and God's plans always prevail. The Lord wasn't done with Paul. And guess what? He's not finished with you either. If you're breathing today and if you're not sure about your neighbor, just put a mirror. But if you're you're breathing right now, today, guess what? Jesus isn't done with you. You may feel like he is. You may feel like the challenges that you're facing are just too difficult. You may feel like the mistakes you've made are just too much to overcome. But I want you to know, church, Jesus is not finished with you. If you are breathing, if you have breath in your lungs, God is not done with you. No matter where you find yourself, no matter what challenges you face, no matter what failures you have done, guess what? God's plan and purpose for you will prevail. We can rest assured in that. We can know that. And my prayer has been as i've been preparing this message is that all of this news all these principles that jesus knows you that he is with you that he is for you that he is not finished with you would give you courage and would give you strength and cause you to rely fully on jesus What I want to do this morning is I actually want to just guide us through prayer because I know I know that many of you came in here this morning and and you've got burdens that are over over weighing you. You've got challenges that you feel like you can't see the light of day. You've got Thanksgiving coming up and you're dreading it because you're going to have to see family members that you Know there are some issues there. You've, you're, you've got relationship struggles or you've got work problems, or, you know, we're, we're all facing stuff. And so I just wanted to take a moment to allow the Lord to encourage each and every one of us in the midst of whatever you are facing. And so instead of me praying, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to seek the Lord in your way, however, you need to apply this text. If you need to remind yourself that God knows you. Because sometimes it's easy to forget that, isn't it? Sometimes in the midst of difficulties, it's it's hard to remember that God knows exactly what you're going through. For some of you, it may be the fact that, that you need to remind yourself that God is with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Brothers, man, you may be thinking, there's no way God is for me. If he were for me, I wouldn't be facing what I'm facing. If he were for me, then our family wouldn't be going through what we're going through. Many of us, we need to be reminded that God's not done with us. No matter what our past mistakes, even our current failures, I don't know where you are, but I want to just allow you the opportunity to respond in your way. If you want to come up and pray, you can. If you want to kneel at your seat and pray, if you want to grab a brother or sister in Christ in this room and pray for one another and with one another, I just encourage you to do that right now. I'll close this in just a moment. is this whole debate with the Apostle Paul started because of the resurrection. It started because Paul believed that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That he died for our sins and he rose again three days later. If you're not a follower of Christ this morning, my encouragement is that you become one. That you surrender your life to our risen Lord. That you Place your trust and your faith in the sufficiency of his death on the cross.